0: There's nothing to see here. And, um, it's been a long time coming. I should really have that as a ducking setting on that sound pad. I need to do that. I'm going to leave that on there for next time, hopefully. Well, the vocal fry is real today, and it has been a long time coming. Now. Uh, I want to go over just everything I have ahead of time, and then I'll get into everything else from there. But let's start off by reminding everyone that we need to be listening on an app that follows the podcast standards. The one that everyone in the Podcasting 2.0 community, community has been referencing and recommending recently is Fountain. And for good reason. Fountain is great. But I decided to branch out just a little bit and try uh, an app that I haven't tried in a good long time, which is Castomatic. And if you're coming from Overcast, this will be the closest to Overcast that you can get with Podcasting 2.0 compliance until, uh, what's the dude's name? I forget the dude's name who's uh, who's developing that. Oh, How do I forget? I don't know. Anyway, the until he gets the Podcasting 2.0 implementation with chapters and funding and everything else, then the best you can get is Cast-O-Matic, as far as if you want to get a close to ca- uh, Overcast feel. Anyway, you can find out more at nudepodcastapps.com. That is nudepodcastapps.com or newpodcastapps.com. You can also visit my website, and while you're over there, you can leave me a voicemail or check out the show notes page. You can do all of this from there as well. I also have my merch page set up still, but it um, it's uh, it's uh, troubling. It's not the best, so um, yeah, you can try it out. You can see if it works. It uh, it still needs some work. Anyway, moving on, you can check out my YouTube search tool. Uh, That one does a whole heck of a lot. And if you click the link, you'll find out what exactly. And then you can check out my self-censor tool as well. And today, I want to come back to this. I want to talk about the TV Guardian. But closing it up with what we need to be doing all the time is check out my Rabbit Hole University Notion page. It's very important to me. And uh, I've already put together a whole episode as to why. Not necessarily a whole episode, so I won't go into it now. But in the future, I'll revisit that whenever I get more into it. Uh, More into the weeds, more articles, more resources, more links, more things that just sit on that static webpage, but for now, I have a new show slogan. My show slogan is the show where I sift through all the clickbait so you don't have to, and extract gems along the way. So I spend way too much time on YouTube anyway, and during my time on YouTube, it's just, I mean, it's just a crap show most of the time. A lot of the times I get these uh, newsletters, the random ones that I just haven't unsubscribed from recently, and I need to just filter through my inbox. Excuse me, filter through my inbox. But until then, I will go through that clickbait and I will find those gems and I will bring them to the light. I also go through all the podcasts. I don't just filter through clickbait, I also go through good resources and I bring out those nuggets, those gems. So if you're into the gems that you're listening to an entire podcast for anyway, let me go ahead and do that for you. Now I'm going back to that TV Guardian uh, mention that I had earlier, and that's because I'm decide I've decided to make a self censoring tool. And if you click the link, you'll find my GitHub page with everything that I've got on it so far. But apparently there is a tool from 1980 or the 80s themselves. I think it was 82 where some company went through and did exactly the same thing that I'm trying to do with computer code, but they did it with the older technology. But it's the same premise itself anyway. So what they did was they took what was put into over-the-air streaming or just on tapes or whatever it is. There is a line of encoding in these cassette tapes and in over-the-air wave television that supports subtitle transfer over-the-air or over-the-tape and that subtitle file was searchable. So they plugged in a box that could search through that file, referenced an index or a dictionary of cuss words and cuss phrases and, and um, horrible, terrible things that us prudes do not approve of, and it would filter those out by changing the word on the subtitles and by silencing that portion of audio. Now, the problem is it wasn't very granular, so it would, it would mute out an entire sentence if possible, And then it would just go from there. Now, there's a few other things that it would do, but if you wanted to check this out, I have a link to the TV Guardian tool. And I'm even thinking about changing the name of my self-censor tool to something that implements the name TV Guardian. The only problem is that company is still in existence, so I may have trouble um, with legal things with that. Anyway, I feel like apologies are in order. I'm I'm getting right into this as if it's a, a normal show, but I do feel like apologies are in order. This, Like I keep saying, this has been a long time coming, and it's just no fun for anyone, especially myself, because I'm supposed to be doing this as my release. This is my my creative release for the week, and I'm not completing my own creative release. So I need to be better at what I'm doing, and part of that requires me to be consistent especially with the people who are actually donating to the show, people who are actually listening in, like Pitar. And he deserves his honorable mention. I'm just going to do that right now. This is outside of the Value for Value segment. I don't even have one right now, uh, just because this is the only one that came through, and it makes sense as to why. I'm roughly an entire month away from my last upload, and Pitar is the only dude that came in strong, which I, I'm I'm not complaining or anything. I mean, Pitar is a solid guy, but that's... It just goes to show that whenever you're not consistent, you're not going to get consistent results back. You know, value for value—that's how it works. But his one boost was—it uh, came through to me as uh, twenty-eight seventy-nine. I believe it was uh, maybe three thousand exactly, but after all the fees involved, uh, it came out to twenty-eight seventy-nine. And his one comment was two words and an emoji. It Says solid intros with a thumbs up. And I thank you, sir. I thank you, good sir, for that. I, I worked kind of hard on these. I'm not saying that they're the best thing since sliced bread, but I'll make it work, and I will just keep improving until I find something that I... Either until I think it's satisfactory, until I think I don't want to do any more editing on them because it doesn't seem worth it to me to go so far and just over the edge on things that don't need it, really. It's, it's pretty good as it is, so I'm going to leave it that way for now. But either way, I want to go over a few things that went over this last month, so everyone gets an idea as to why it took so long to get these, well, at least just this episode out. So my birthday passed, and uh, I got lazy after that, because that actually landed on a Friday, and then I also got lazy. I just got lazy. It, it, it's it's something that happened, and for that I apologize, but then also, with this new business, I mean, I was incredibly naive. I think I put up an episode When I first moved over to this new business, I mean, you know, just being hired on to be a guy who's basically running the business. I don't really have a specific title right now, and that's fine. I don't really care for titles that much. I think they can be, uh, I don't know, what's the word? I'm losing my words. This is a late episode anyway, but I think they can be obnoxious and superfluous and condescending to use around people. So. Either way, I was incredibly naive to think that I would have more time for me when starting a new business. I said there, hey, I'm going to have so much more time to podcast, and I have so much more room and so many more resources, and and now I can create my own schedule, and that's not even close to true. So it's just uh, vocal fry. But anyway, I went ahead and made good on that v for v so I want to just go ahead and get straight into this week's episode. And that's going to start with my conspiracy segment. Oh, but it's not playing. Oh, no. (laughs) Misfire on the sound pads. Okay, let's bring that back up and try this again. Let's try it right now. (laughs) But anyway, that's a terrible. Oh, terrible! Okay, (laughs) it's good to be back, isn't it? Okay, my first clip is actually something that I stole from the Mo show, and this is something that I thought was the craziest thing ever. This is one of the older shows. I can't remember which show it was exactly because it was about Obama himself, and I think it might have just been titled Obama or something. The the episode that I stole this from, but the title of the clip that I got was one of my best best and most liked clips on Fountain. So I'm going to go ahead and play that for you now, and then just make it even more public and just publish it again, and this is just the best way to get this out to more and more people, is once this show gets a little more recognition, people will go back and I'll just revisit certain things and just allow people to be accustomed to other shows and not just mine. So I'm going to go ahead and play this for you now, and uh, just get out of the way of the clip.
1: Last one, number 44, and one before that, 43, Bush and Obama. Well, there are pictures of Bush with his arm around uh, eight-year-old Barack Obama because his stepdaddy, adopted daddy, Lolo Sotoro, had done a lifetime worth of business with the Bushes. Uh, Uncle George Herbert Walker, after whom George Herbert Walker Bush, Bush one president, was named, founded Halliburton in 1946 in Oklahoma. And Lolo Sotoro had been international executive vice president for Standard oil
2: there was talk of him being a cia assassin, well yeah see to... he
1: ran the death spots mm-hmm. for the indonesian army on his own call anyone could be assassinated so when george herbert walker bush became head of the cia under the ford administration he just got with his old buddy in the oil business lolo sotoro and pulled off the hits
0: <laughs> oh yeah isn't that crazy isn't it crazy like you hear about the swamp and you hear about, oh, Trump was the best president we've ever had because he wasn't part of the swamp. And, and, and you hear that kind of, that kind of rhetoric and it's, it's fine. It's just fine. I'm not disagreeing with it necessarily, but it's, it misses so many different things. This is such a nuanced thing. And this is why podcasts are great. People can go through the nuances and dig, dig deep into the weeds. And, and I'll leave that for better podcasts than my own. Because when it comes to digging into the weeds, it would only be on something that I'm knowledgeable about. And I already made a fool of myself thinking that I could talk about the energy crisis in Texas when I had no business talking about it. Because all I knew was secondhand knowledge from people who are getting secondhand knowledge. So it it just, it, it didn't make sense to try and spread that knowledge around without being knowledgeable. So all I'm saying is that this is good information, and I'm proud that I can listen to this and bring some clips from other shows and just shine a light on it. It's crazy that Obama and Bush were essentially related in a weird roundabout way, but also had spent time together before before, I mean, before anyone even knew about Obama. And I'm going to say Barry. I'm not going to say Obama because I don't, I don't, no one uses my last name. And no matter what, it doesn't matter if you're a president or not. It's just, no one uses my own last name. It's a little more personable to say Barry, even though I I don't know him, but it's, anyway, it's more personable, makes it seem like it's more of a thing. This is my conspiracy theory segment. So we're going to move on forward into Graham Hancock. Now, I've been listening to Graham Hancock recently. And here's one thing that I wanted to mention about him specifically this is his talk about ancient civilizations and how. People would would give this this comment on the fact that there's no there's no proof of an ancient civilization because there aren't plastics and because if if we were to follow the natural progression of things because that's what we're doing now in the current day and age we live in the natural progression of things led us to plastics in the industrial revolution and if that was the natural progression of ancient civilizations as well because we would probably see something repeating itself like it did in history because history should repeat itself, well, then there's proof right there that ancient civilizations didn't exist because we don't see plastic. And I've already gone through that because there's enzymes that are out there that eat plastic and break it down to its bare base minerals and components and elements. So let's just say that that older, older civilization had actually gone through making plastics, hadn't gone to the extent that we have, necessarily, where every single thing in it has used plastic, but then use the enzyme to recycle the plastic as soon as it wasn't used anymore or wasn't of use anymore. But anyway, let's continue on with Graham Hancock right here kind of civilization from our own, which pursued things in different ways. A lot of archaeologists
1: have said to me, but we don't find any plastic bottles from the ice age. That means there was no advanced civilization during the ice age. Well, hang on. Maybe an advanced civilization might have decided never to get involved in plastic in the first place. Maybe there would have been a clear choice not to make plastic. Maybe they did things in completely different ways. Maybe they cultivated powers of the human mind that uh, we dismiss and regard as uh, completely, completely unimportant, you know,
0: woo-woo. And uh, sorry about the uh, abrupt edge on that clippage there, but yes, there, there's no reason why an ancient civilization of any sort couldn't be advanced, but could not also have advanced in different ways than our own. It, 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 it just, it makes sense that it could have been that way. Not everyone is going to follow at every point in history the exact same trajectory that we've followed. I mean, just as an example, there was, and I ah, i shouldn't be saying this because I'm still researching it, and I don't have the exact verbiage, so I can't be speaking knowledgeably. There's that word again. There's that word again. Knowledge. But, there's, the only reason why we have the, sa- the, the level of technology we have now is because we follow Hertzian electric theory instead of following, and I can't remember the exact word for the other one, but, okay, so Hertzian theory is based on the fact that electricity is going to be wrangled together and controlled through the use of conduit in the sense of conductors, like wires, but there is a different theory, a prevalent theory that was around at the very same time as Hertzian theory was becoming popular, and that one allowed, was the baseline for Nikola Tesla's idea of allowing energy to be transmitted wirelessly, and there's a good um, uh, Uncharted X podcast on YouTube and on any podcatcher that you listen with that explains this specifically, and I believe it's titled uh, Nikola Tesla. Now, when I make an episode on that specifically and bring the gems from there, I'll make sure and bring this point up with better detail, but that's my conspiracy theory segment. I'm going to go ahead and move on to a new segment, and this is the the Patron Saint of the Week. Every single week, I'm going to dig into Catholic culture or Catholic uh, history and talk about all the different saints that I can find. And I found a good resource that has every single saint. I think there's 10,000 of them, I think is what the website says. And it's it's alphabetized. It's all in alphabetical order. And I'm starting right away with the very first one on the list, which is St. Agatha. And her role, and I'll, I'll explain why. Actually, hold on. The reason why I'm kind of interested in this is because of St. Jude's Children's Miracle Network and St. Jude's Children's Hospital. The reason why I'm interested in that is because my sister, when she was seven years old, at that point I was nine years old, she fell ill with brain cancer. Now, there was a, a whole lot of nonsense involved with that, and I actually spoke about that on the episode of mine, la, what was it, um, a conversation with my Grandfather and father, as I think what the title was, and um, that was written written in Romanian. My goodness, I am tripping over my words. That was written in Romanian, and I translated that episode roughly. But I translated that on the next episode that came right after that. But while I was talking about that, I mentioned that we'd run around all over the place to every single hospital that could possibly help us out with a cancer situation and one of those hospitals was St. Jude's. Now, St. Jude's is just like St. Luke's in the sense that they, they used the name of a saint as the name of the hospital, and it, there's a reason for that. So St. Luke, I'm not sure what his role is, and we're going to find that out in the future, but St. Jude is the patron, patron saint of lost causes. So it makes sense why they would name the Children's Miracle Hospital, where they take in children with stage 4 brain cancer and try everything that's experimental just to see what works. Because you're essentially a lost cause and you know what, we'll try something but if it doesn't work, I'm sorry. It was a lost cause anyway. So it got me interested in the role of these saints and why certain saints got certain names. Anyway, let's get back to the role of Saint Agatha. She is the patron saint of Sicily I have such a hard time saying patron. Now, I want to say uh, other words. I'm not even sure what I'm I'm thinking of it. I'm thinking of patron and who knows what else. Just Spanish here. Anyway, uh, she's the patron saint of Italy. I'm saying patron instead of patron. That's what it is. Okay. Patron saint of Italy, of Sicily. And she is the saint of breast cancer, rape victims, and bell founders of all things. A bell founder is literally what it sounds like a person who runs a foundry that makes bells for bell towers. So here's the history. St. Agatha was from a well off family in Sicily in Roman times, probably in the third century. After, de- uh, after dedicating her life to Christ, her beauty drew powerful men to her like a magnet, but she refused all suitors in favor of the Lord. Perhaps during the persecution of Emperor Decius, I think Decius. Around 250, she was arrested. Ooh, 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 ooh. Come on, come back here, come back here, come back here. Uh, there it is. She was arrested, interrogated, tortured, and martyred. She refused to renounce her faith or to give in to the powerful men who desired her. An ancient, homo- or an ancient homily relates a true virgin. She wore the glow of pure conscience and the crimson of the lamb's blood for her cosmetics. That's a little gross, but anyway. It is also the constant tradition that her torture included sexual mutilation. Whereas St. or is shown in art with her eyeballs on a platter, St. Agatha is normally shown holding a plate on which, her, on which rests her own breast as they were cut off by her pagan tormentors before her execution. Now, it's a little graphic, little gruesome, little gory, and um, I probably should have prefaced that, but I forgot about all the notes, so if anyone's listening with children, I very much apologize. I... Doubt anyone is, but if you are, I apologize for that. Either way, um, it's it's a, it's a theme you're going to find with the uh, old church. There's a lot of, I mean, they don't hold back, just like the Bible doesn't hold back with its gruesome details. The church doesn't with its history. So, moving along, I want to go over, like I keep talking about, uh, needing to have something of this nature on this podcast: the Governor Inslee press update. So. The Medium page shows this right here. Oh, did I go to? Ah, okay. We'll just click the first article right here. Reader mode. Reading, math, science, and wellness. Youth mental health is a new educational cornerstone. Adolescence is a hurricane. Friendships, family matters, schoolwork, extracurriculars, jobs, and social media bluster around youth. Some could use a hand to help them through. A 2020 national survey revealed that nearly 17% of youth, 12 to 17, had suffered a major depressive episode within a year. A 2021 survey of Washington State 12th graders revealed that 45% felt depressed. Suicide is the second leading cause of death in the state of Washington for youth 10 to 24 years old. The statistics are stunning, and their story is clear. Youth need help. Now, I don't want to go into this too much more because it seems like they're using statistics to lie and there's a whole book on that. It's very fittingly called How to Lie with Statistics. So if you want to look at a a good book and just it's it's not necessarily a how-to guide. It's more a clickbaity title for a book that shows you how people do lie with with statistics. Now, I don't doubt these statistics here necessarily, but I feel like there's a massive a massive focus on mental health and I don't like that phrase as a one all catch all necessarily. And now I understand that there is a need for a phrase that deals with a specific issue specifically, but I think it's being played up in the same way that the gluten allergy was played up a while ago. Now I met someone with a true gluten allergy, and it's not something that you want to go around bragging about. It's not even close. As far as he explained it to me, like you're you're out. You're in a state of literal depression and and, and just pain and body aches and soreness and cramps and everything for nearly a week if you even come close to the stuff. So it's not something to go around saying, is this gluten free because I can't have gluten because it's bad for me. Well, if you don't explain what exactly happens to you when you experience having gluten and if it's nothing compared to these symptoms, I doubt you really have an allergy. And the same thing with this. If you don't have a true mental health crisis or breakdown very often, I don't think that we should be saying that we have a mental health problem or crisis with the nation. I think it's a little bit more, let's, and I I don't like using this phrase necessarily because of the, the connotation behind it, but I feel like it's more of a speaking this into existence kind of thing. So... The more you say it, the more it becomes true because the more people focus on it. Kind of like whenever you wear a red dress, you're going to see other people wearing red dresses. When you own a Subaru, you'll see other Subarus around and so on and so forth. Anyway, you can read that on there if you want. I don't know. Every time I get into it, I feel like I might just scrub that section completely from the show because it's just... It just just leaves a nasty flavor in your mouth. Anyway, I have a value for value pitch comment. So I want to go into this. I wrote this because I thought this while I was driving and I had to write it down. So if it sounds kind of half-baked, it's because I didn't go back and and edit it too well. But here goes nothing. (laughs) Here's Here's the opening line. In the Bible, anyway, in the Bible, there's a story where Jesus miraculously healed 10 lepers. And out of the 10 lepers that he healed, only one came back to give thanks. I had a thought about how to monetize on the podcast by referring out to, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm just reading what I wrote down, by referring out a specific service that I may enjoy using. But instead of reading out a script and then signing up with an affiliate program, which to me is too much work anyway, I thought that I would recommend someone else's affiliate program that would give the end user some sort of discount. And that end user would simply provide the difference of the discounted amount as, uh, as value back to me. Now I would reach out to this other person. So as an example, uh, what's his name? Uh, Jack, Jack Spierko from the Survival Podcast. He's got his member support brigade. And he's got other discount codes that he gives for other sponsors. Excuse
2: me?
0: <sighs> <clears throat> he's got other sponsors that give him discount codes. As well as people like Bandrew says from, or sorry, uh, Bandrew from the Bandrew Says podcast and plenty of others that have their discount codes, Um, Linus from Linus Tech Tips, anyone. So, what I was thinking I would do is I would make an affiliate program on top of an affiliate program. So, I would not only recommend a specific show and where I heard it from, but I would also recommend their affiliate link. So, they would be making money and they would just track somehow, I don't know how, it would just be a value for value thing. I have no idea how they would do this. It'd probably have to be a secondary link that they would send me for me to send it to them and then I can get paid off that link somehow. I have no idea. Anyway, maybe, but it was just an idea. But something that was made clear by the No Agenda show and the Pareto principle or Matthew principle and the story of the 10 lepers is that the ratio of return to give thanks or value is significantly low. I mean, if you think about it, the No Agenda show has millions of listeners because they have millions of downloads every single month. And most likely every single show, I think is what Adam said on the Podcasting 2.0 episode that I listened to recently. And out of those millions of listeners, how many actually come through to donate? I know I haven't done it as much as I, I should have because the amount of value that I get out of the show is unbelievable, and I just can't give back necessarily. Now I can, and not as often as I'd like to, and I'd like to donate more, but it's just it's just what it is. There's time and talent that are donated as well, which is another part of the value structure that also counts. But as far as something that you can quantify, as far as something that is I I, I don't know, something you can measure like dollars. I was speaking with a lot of uptalk there. I, I apologize to anyone who thinks that I'm trying to uptalk them. I'm not trying to. But as far as something that you can measure, it does not seem like people people can put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and give you something that you can actually use for metrics. Now, metrics aren't the biggest thing. They're not the most important. The the I'm going to use the word content right now because it is an all-encompassing term, but I have a note to make on that later on in this episode. But if people value the content that you put out, then it doesn't matter necessarily how they give back as long as you're putting out good content. You'll get some sort of value in return. Anyway, that, that that's that's my thought on the value for value pitch. I wanted to figure out some sort of affiliate thing, but you know, it, it's not that big a deal to me. This is a passion project and this is something that I enjoy doing. So I'm not going to go forth and and try and monetize so crazy much that I'm able to leave my nine to five just yet because it's not I mean it's just not reasonable to think that that's even possible right now so for the future that might be something that I look into but for now I'm just going to leave it the way it is and I'm going to move into just right on into my Jordan B. Peterson uh, wisdom wisdom from Jordan B. Peterson segment and do I have I do have it let's play that right now and then I'll play the clip right afterward All poo-poo times are pee-pee times. But what does that imply? It's
1: like if you can carve out a living for yourself, preferably inside of a large tropical fruit, well, that's a bloody good start.
2: You know how the Venezuelan government
0: solved the problem of kids starving to death in hospitals? How? They made it illegal for the doctors to report starvation as the cause of death. Right. Wow. That's Venezuela. In a nutshell, man, with all the talk about how Venezuela is going to be the best and oh, everyone just doesn't do communism right or socialism right. But look at Venezuela and look how great they are. And then you realize there's little cheeky little tweaks they make to the system to make everything look all hunky dory. And it's not even close, not even close. And I'm just fine with with what I'm hearing from here because it's just great. Oh, my goodness. It's just great. Now. I have here, where did I link that to? I Oh, did I put that in my value for value pitch? I did, and it was at the bottom. Okay, let me come back to this. So on my value for value pitch on the Matthew Principle, one of the most recent episodes of the Bitcoin and podcast, so that's David Bennett does a podcast called Bitcoin and, Then there's uh, period, space, period, space, period, space. And I think he did that to keep the plebs out. <laughs> I think he did that specifically, so it's like, okay, this is going to be intentionally just a little bit harder to find, and, um, it, and it, it works. He gets quality people. Uh, on one of those most recent episodes of his podcast, he quoted this exact article. Now, I want to shout out his show, but I did not clip it for the life of me. I don't know why I didn't. I set like four reminders to do it, but it got lost in the group, and it just takes me a while to go back through and reclip once I've lost something. So I just want to say thanks, David, for putting this out there for me and bringing it to my attention just by putting it on your show. Uh, but I'm just going to do the same thing and just read right back what you've read out on your show. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because if you want to, you can listen to David Bennett's read of it. He is a lot better than me, does not stutter as much. I believe he read to his kids a lot more than I did uh, growing grow- while raising his kids. And I think he still is, Um, as far as I remember, I think he says he still has a few kids in the house, if not all of them. But um, either way, we're going to go ahead and get right into this. This is Martin Luther's Reformation teaches us how Bitcoin can be successful. It's from November 21st, 2022 by Eric Dale. This is an op-ed article by Eric Dale, host of the Bitcoin for Breakfast podcast. So he's got his own. I might just listen to that and try and steal some gems. Anyway, while we are far from harmless, Bitcoiners are arguably some of the most peaceful people on earth. Initiating violence is is antithetical to Bitcoin, both as a store of value and as a store of values. And the network does an excellent job at defending itself through its decentralization. No army needed. And I certainly don't want any confusion with the XRP army or the like, yet. With fiat nukes directed at London, Moscow, and Berlin, I'm sorry, Moscow, our Fiat overlords enriching themselves are enriching themselves faster than late medieval popes and our Fiat future promising a level of censorship and surveillance the just gis- the Gestapo my goodness, I am terrible at reading the Gestapo never dreamed about stacking sats maybe oh, I'm sorry, I am so reading this wrong you know what screw it I'm not even going to finish this. Uh, (laughs) I can't, I can't, I need, I should just proofread this before I actually put it out there. I'm trying to bring you gems and and they're turning into just blocks of coal. It's terrible, terrible. Let let, let me try one more time. I'm going to go to the next section. Decentralized resistance. Of course, the fastest way to grow a modern army is to be involved by Russia. I'm sorry, invaded by Russia. (laughs) First line. But I don't, uh, but I want to share some lessons from one of the most successful examples of decentralized resistance the world has ever seen. A movement born in the wake of a disruptive communications technology that allowed information to be copied and spread at an unimaginable speed. An innovation created to overcome the corruption and inefficiency of institutions which had outlived their usefulness. An idea which survived all onslaughts, from brutal internal persecution to decades of continental war. I'm not talking about Bitcoin. I want to share seven lessons we can learn from late medieval Bitcoiners who went through a similar reformation? Clickbaity title, and and David pointed that out as well. That it's clickbaity to say that there were bitcoiners in the medieval century, but the values kind of play a role in calling them bitcoiners. And here's a bullet list right here. Bullet point number one: It is the end of the world. Bullet point number two: Copy everything. Three: Make it local for plebs. Four, OPSEC matters. Five, create your own ecosystem. Six, open source it. And seven, die on this hill. So this article goes on for a lot. I believe it's about a thousand words here. And it's a good op-ed. It's a really good op-ed. It it, it really drove it home for me. And I couldn't believe how, how how great the analogy was for the Bitcoin compared to the Reformation. I recommend everyone read it. At some point, I may just record it if I can get through my stutters and if I can actually edit something. Uh, that way, I can cut out all my uhs and ums and I can cut out all my stutters and who knows what. But for now, I'm just going to recommend you read that. And if you don't, either way, it'll be coming in the future. But for now, just please read it. Now we're moving on to the next segment. You know what really grinds my gears? I have a few of these. So I have what is it? Three so far on this. Now I have a few audio samples and then I have uh, a reading sample to show you. So I'm going to go ahead and go through the, uh, what is it? The problem with the internet that no one is talking about by Struthless. It's a channel on YouTube, artistic guy, good, good guy. I mean, essentially he's, he's one of the greatest artists that I can imagine right, right off the top of my head because it's all very personable he spent, I think it was a year. I think it was a year, if I'm remembering correctly, a year just drawing nothing but storks in every way imaginable. Now, when you're an artist, you, you struggle with, with prompts. Uh, excuse me, with prompts. Artists go through what's known as a, a, a form of writer's block, but for artists. So when they're trying to create a new art piece, they're staring at a blank canvas in the same way that a writer stares at a blank page when it comes time to write a new novel it's endless. The opportunities are so wild, so out there, it's so endless that it's worse than going to a store like Walmart, a big mega store, and having 30 different brands of honey to choose from. You have an infinite number of possibilities of what you can create. So he just boiled it down to it has to be a stork. There has to be a stork involved, draw it however you want, whatever style, but there has to be a stork. And he did it. And it's a great exercise and he did it so well that there's nothing better than like it's it's that it's like that there's a resource online and I'm just bringing it up to mind there's a resource online that Jordan Peterson brought up on one of his interviews where it's some some article about spam like the the lunch meat where there's 50,000 I believe is what it is now 50,000 or 50 some odd thousand haikus written about spam 50,000 haikus that is just a repository of those based on it has to be about spam and it has to be a haiku once you get these constraints in place creativity actually flourishes but anyway one of his uh, videos right now is called the problem with the internet that no one is talking about and this is a reference back to that comment i made about content so let's go ahead and play what is a content creator
1: hey uh... have i got your attention? can i hold it? Are you exhausted by content? The fact that there's just so much of it and you can just scroll and scroll and scroll and never hit the bottom. Or the fact that if you're a creative person, there's this weird pressure, this gigantic pressure to make content, content, content. And have you noticed that every single creative person, whether you're a filmmaker, a photographer, or an artist, everything that you make is now just called content. And whatever it is that you used to do, now you're just called a content creator. When and why did this happen? Is it good? Is it bad? And what can we do about it? Those are the questions that I'm going to try and answer in this video. What the H-E-C-K is going on, baby?
0: <laughs> he's a cool guy. Uh, and actually, on his in, in that video, he's holding a really high-quality looking mic, and I'd love to know what kind it is because it sounds ultra clear. Uh, he's holding it just in his hand, just, just raw-dogging it. And I'm over here like, you know what? If he can do that, I can do that. So I went digging through a bunch of old stuff in the new shop that we got and I found a USB mic that's roughly the same form factor so I switched from the snowball I don't know if anyone can notice the audio difference because you probably can't I mean you probably can't just because the I I use the same app and it has its own EQ built in its own uh, encoding software built in it uses standard Apple libraries to encode everything level everything compress everything but you might you might hear a little clarity, but it's got a decent form factor where I can actually hold it in the same way, just you know, raw dogging it one handed like. Um, the brand is some some off brand. I think it's called AXA. It's the MX715. If anyone's interested, very cheap, um, very easy to get a hold of on Amazon. But it works like a dream. It works with the iPad. You just get your uh, either USB C to USB uh, female adapter or a Lightning to USB female adapter, and then you just plug it right in, and it works with Backpack Studio like a charm. But anyway, right back to it. Everything that you do as a so-called content creator falls under that one tag. You're a content creator. You're not an artist. You're not a painter. You're not a podcaster. You don't put out shows. You're just a content creator, and there's a problem with that, and the problem is just in this very next segment, and I'll let you listen to this because it's, it's explained so much better by Struthless. Go ahead and listen to this.
1: By calling art content, our art is given a very specific purpose. Serve the algorithm set out by a handful of tech companies. Instead of creative exploration, these algorithms reward art that seek and hold attention. This is because this attention is the product that these media companies are selling. It's how they make money. Over time, by very much intentional design, the art becomes formulaic, and it affects the three main groups. I'm the consumer of art and content. I am desensitized and bored, but I will not stop scrolling because these platforms are designed to keep me actually addicted. Genuinely addicted on a neurological level. Ah, Why don't we check this with large tech companies? I don't know. I'm an artist. I keep posting stuff to serve the algorithm, and I'm scared to post my actual work because I don't think it will work. I don't think it will go well. Ah. And I'm the technocrats. Any and all money that is being made by this process is going straight into my pockets. Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, something that was designed to facilitate or push art and music out is now at its core, a poison like a virus killing
0: its host. Like a virus killing its host. Well said. Well said. And it's just like, my brother is a real artist. Like, he actually has skill. Real skill. And he's got commissions. And he's got work. He's now lead art director for the church. Now I get it. That's not the biggest thing in the world. It's a small local church, but it's work under his belt and he's got a portfolio that's massive. I'm trying to help him set up a website with its own gallery just to to get his stuff out there. I'm trying to use as much of his, his artwork as my show art. I'm trying to get his music at the end of every show. He's a true artist. But if I just said, hey, bro, your content is sick, that's not That's not giving it the value that it deserves. It's not showing value. That's not valuing his work. So I like that he, that this guy Struthless has just broken things down to such an easy to understand set of words. It's as simple as it needs to be, but no simpler. And and the last point that he makes in this segment is on what should someone do in. to to combat the algorithm that's that's forcing them to create content so they can feed it and they can get that dopamine hit and they can get this this feeling of being a great content creator because when you're a content creator and and this is now a pejorative to me to say that I'm a content creator or to say that my brother is a content creator or anyone else on the internet is a content creator now if you are one I'm going to use it as a pejorative if you're the kind of content creator that he just explained because if you're just feeding the algorithm to just make a paycheck because all you care about is that ad revenue and not the thousand true fans that Jack Spierko talks about and that Struthless mentions in the next clip I'm going to play for you, then you are a part of the problem. Now, here, listen to this last clip.
1: Kevin Kelly was the editor of Wired Magazine and a whole lot of other things. I do recommend checking him out. And in 2007, he made this call, right? He said that with so much scattered attention on the internet, your best bet is not to try chase all that scattered attention, but to just build 1,000 true fans. So what is a true fan? A true fan is somebody who will follow you from piece to piece, regardless of whether it's your best or you, you know, you're most average (laughs) they'll buy the products that you launch they'll migrate with you from one platform to another they're they're just there to support that's a true fan kevin kelly's thesis is that with 1000 of these people minimum you can have a sustainable career here's why if 1000 people are buying the things that you make for example then you are financially self-sufficient these 1000 true fans also work as your marketing they evangelize your message to other people thus growing your platform
0: now i just thought myself after listening to that, after listening to that, that commentary on the thousand true fans from, uh, <laughs> I already forgot the dude's name, Ken, Kevin Barry or Kevin Kelly. After hearing that and after hearing Struthless talk about that, it made me wonder referencing back to the Pareto principle, referencing back to the 10 talents and, uh, sorry, the, uh, 10 lepers that were healed referencing back to all these things. It put things into perspective. If you want to get those Thousand true fans, you need to get a massive following. Maybe. Maybe. Because if you put out good quality, and I'm going to use the word here, but you know how I feel about it now based on those clips. You put out good quality content, you put a good show, you put a good song, you put some good art out there, and you get people that have that artwork speak to them, that creativity speak to them. There's another C word that creativity. If you get them actually on your side, that's all you need. That is all you need. When you can provide that value to them, it is almost a sin for those people to not provide value back. Now, I'm the person speaking from not uploading anything for over a month, but it still stands true that as long as you provide good quality creativity, I'm going to use creativity from now on, but it's a placeholder for the placeholder, which is content creator or content, um, if you provide that, that solid creativity for someone to indulge in, you're set. You're set because you have people who actually believe in what you're doing, and it's a thousand people. That's a big number. If you've ever been around a thousand people in one room, you'll notice that that fills the room. That fills, a, not a stadium, but a football field? Yeah. High school football field, most likely, but yeah, that 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 fills it. So, get yourself a thousand true fans. Focus on them, and then move on from there. Now, here, here's a grinds my gears segment. This is this is the, that was part of the grinds my gears because I mean it's good content, and it doesn't really grind anyone's gears to hear his end result, which is just get them tr- get them thousand true fans. But the content creator portion of it, calling someone a content creator when they're a creative. And they put out creativity that it lumps you into one goal. And I get it. The algorithm could have been uh, pushed to be called anything. And they just chose the phrase content creator because it's pretty much all-encompassing. But because it's all-encompassing and because it feeds the algorithm, you're funneled into a very tight, tight funnel that just pushes you towards feeding the algorithm, which is never fun for anyone. But anyway... Moving along with the grinds of my gear segment, there is a Google pixel ad, a pixel seven ad that shows up in my YouTube advertisements that I couldn't clip properly. So I apologize for the jarring jump cut that you're going to listen to just now. But I want you to listen to a specific portion of this and tell me if you can catch it, because it is it is hilarious to me when you watch it and you see what they, <laughs> what they're talking about. It is hilarious. So hold on. Let me see if I can play this for you.
1: Sure, it's beautiful, but it does things other phones can't do, which is how it helps take annoying items out of pictures.
0: So did you hear that? The Pixel 7 is advertised as taking annoying things out of pictures. Let me go ahead and try and bring that right there to there again and see if I can do that without making too much uh, noise.
1: Can't do, which is how it helps take annoying items out of pictures.
0: Okay, those annoying items that it was taking out of pictures, those were human beings. (laughs) <laughs> the advertisement was some someone taking a picture of their daughter on the beach. Now, I get it. I get the sentiment behind it. You want a picture of your daughter. You don't want other people on the beach necessarily. Maybe you do. Maybe you want to give that ambience. Maybe you want to give that feel to it. But the phrasing in that is funny because you're using the AI that was built for, for Google Photos or Google Image Processing which by all means, I mean, it is wonderful. The image processing with Google Photos is par excellence. It is top-notch. It is the best that, that you can get on a smartphone. But to say that the AI you built for that thinks that human beings in a photo are annoying is kind of funny. I mean, it's kind of, kind of hilarious <laughs> if you think about it. It's, when something's annoying at first, it, it, it's a short jump. To get to in your way. And from there, it's a short jump to say, we need to exterminate this thing. So there's your Skynet in the making right there. I thought it was pretty hilarious. I don't know if anyone else does, but I thought it was hilarious. Now, moving along, there is uh, an update on the student loan debacle. The Biden administration to extend student loan debt repayment freeze amid court battles. So because they're getting sued, be- meaning the Biden administration uh, is being sued for attempting to, uh, what is it, relieve all student loan debt because it's not legal to do so. You can't just write an executive order to do that because that's a private business, technically. Technically, it's a private business sending out loans. You can't do that. That's not legal. The government can't just say people don't have to pay back other people anymore. That, That sets a dangerous precedent, very dangerous precedent, because then no one would have to pay anyone back for any service because there's precedent because here's your student loan example. Anyway, President Joe, Joe Biden speaks on the student debt relief plan as Secretary of State Miguel Cardona, who's a Republican, the article I had to mention that, listens in the South Court Auditorium at the Eisenhower Executive Office building in Washington on October 17, 2022. And it goes into it in this article, you can reach that in the show notes, and they talk about how what they're going to do is during their court battles, they're putting a pause on any student loan debt repayment. So There was a pause because of COVID, and it's supposed to restart again in January, but now they're going to put it on pause again while they're in court for trying to fight something that is unfightable. Now, I think this is just a distraction, or a it's a very... A very fortunate distraction based on another distraction that was brought up at just the right time during the midterms. Because during the midterms is whenever this information was released saying, hey, don't you worry, us Democrats, and I mean, it's so binary, but we Democrats will forgive your student loans. Don't ever vote for a Republican because they won't do the same because they're suing us now. So now there's more distraction in the news, and it's going to be very, very easy to use this one for a good long time. Uh, I've, I've noticed that anytime something takes away from a major news article it, in the news cycle, it's because it's very good at keeping attention away from other important matters that are taking place in the government and anywhere else. So I want to move forth into the factoid for the week segment. I have two of them. I have uh, what's called the shopping cart theory. And I want to read this off to you. And I put together an image that you can follow along with on the Podcasting 2.0 chapters that will accompany this episode. So the shopping cart theory, posted to, I think this is 4chan, by Anonymous. Excuse me, my goodness, I don't think anyone wants to hear me yawning, but there it is. Okay, the shopping cart is the ultimate litmus test for whether a person is capable of self-governing. To return the shopping cart is an easy, convenient task, and one which we all recognize as the correct, appropriate thing to do. To return the shopping cart is objectively right. It sounds like someone who's a, a cart wrangler at Walmart wrote this. Someone with a little bit of, uh, of ability to dig deep into their soul and write something that has some gravitas to it. Uh, okay. <clears throat> there are no situations other than dire emergencies in which a person is not able to return their cart. Simultaneously, it is not illegal to abandon your shopping cart. Therefore, the shopping cart represents itself as the apex example of whether a person is, or a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. No one will punish you for not returning the shopping cart. No one will fine you or kill you for not returning the shopping cart. You gain nothing by returning the shopping cart. You must return the shopping cart out of the goodness of your own heart. You must return the shopping cart because it is the right thing to do. Because it is correct. A person who is unable to do this is no better than an animal. (laughs) An absolute savage who can only be made to do what is right by threatening them with the law and the force that stands behind it. The shopping cart is what determines whether a person is good or a bad member of society. I love the shopping cart theory because it is so simple and it's so visceral. It's just hilarious. I mean, you think about it and it makes sense. It really makes sense when you listen to it. it, I'm not going to toot my own horn here, but I always return my shopping cart. So I'm a great person by this standard. And that's probably why I like it so much. Anyway, um, let's move forward. Here's an audio illusion for you. Now I'm going to play it twice because it takes a little bit of thinking and it takes a little bit of listening and it takes a little bit of looking. So go ahead and look at your screen right now. And right now you're going to see an image that has two phrases on it. One is green needle and one is brainstorm. Now if you count the syllables with me, uh, green needle, that's three. And brainstorm, that's two. Now, I'm going to play this audio illusion from 1980. I watched this, uh, I learned about this from Mark Rober, uh, the YouTuber, the guy who was an ex-NASA scientist, and he brought to my attention, and everyone who was watching the video,
2: oh
0: my goodness, he brought to everyone's attention the fact that audio illusions are kind of easy, not easy, but they're very commonplace because people are interested in that sort of thing, and he was... uh, experimenting with audio illusions when making the piano that could speak. And it helps by having a little suggestion. So the suggestion that I want you to follow is this. Look at your screen when I play this next audio sample for you. It's very short, so I'm going to play it twice. And it plays twice as well. So it's four times you'll be able to hear it. And you can test this by either rewinding or by just trying it in the moment. Try and focus on the green needle word and listen to what they're saying. And then immediately right after you hear the first little section of audio, focus on it again, but look at the word brainstorm. So use your finger or whatever, just just focus on the different words, and you will hear two different phrases. Now I've tried this about 16 different times, and it works beautifully. So go ahead and listen to this. Did you do it? Did you do it? Okay, I'm gonna do it one more time. Check it out. It? It? Now, for me, I've listened to this so many times that I know the order of the way the text is lined up. So I don't even have to look at the picture, but it will be green needle first and then brainstorm the second time. But if I cover up the word green needle, let me do this right now one more time. If I cover up the word green needle and I'm only staring at brainstorm. It's brainstorm every time, both times. I didn't hear Green Needle once. It was just brainstorm. It is the craziest audio illusion that I've heard yet just because it's different syllables. Now, I've heard audio illusions. I can't remember which one it was. Ah, I can't remember which one it was. There was one that went around, I think it was like four years ago, that everyone was just losing their mind on. And it was crazy, but it had the same syllable count. This one has different syllable counts. So to have that work is a feat in itself. Anyway, I have a uh, prepare with permaculture video that is linked in the show notes, and it's on a gasifier build. Now I brought up gasifiers below, and I believe I brought up a gasifier build as well before from the same exact channel. It's from the random channel, R A N D O M N, so random with an N at the end, and it's just it's it's something that is for the preparedness people who want to be prepared. And it is a great alternative to any just portable generator. But anyway, let me see about this last comment that I have. Okay, sorry about that last part. The noise gate cut out just a little bit. But let's, um, let's go through this. So I have a comment on the Survival podcast uh, that was most recently, not most recently, but it came out pretty recently. I think it was just last week. And uh, the guest on board was Reed Richard. And in that episode, Reed mentioned how massaging a person in your close, tight-knit community should not be a taboo uh, topic. For example, if multiple people gather together uh, and they're sitting in a room having a get-together of sorts and one person mentions that a certain part of their body is aching, it should not be a taboo topic or a taboo thing to say for somebody in that group, and it shouldn't be taboo for somebody to walk up to that person, massage that aching problem out of the other person's body, and just go about their day. The reason I think it's taboo is because in today's day and age, in the Western world at least, a massage has been tied to the word intimate. And in every situation that you hear about, massage therapy and who knows what, everyone mentions, oh, that's an intimate experience. It's an intimate experience to have a massage. That's so intimate. But then you think about the word intimate itself, and the word intimate is tied to pretty much sex. Anything sexual is tied to the word intimate. But the, dif- the dictionary definition has nothing to do with that. The, w- the dictionary definition means personal, very personal. And that's literally what it is. It's, it's to be personal with someone. Very close, very intimate, I'm going to say. Um, but the Western world has ascribed the word sexual To the word intimate, that that connotation is there, which is why I believe that people will refrain from using their skills to help other people in their close communities like what was recommended by Reed in that episode. They'll refrain from it because it has that sexual connotation to it because we live in the Western world. Now, anyway, that was the last of it. That was the last of this episode. I'm going to go ahead and wrap wrap this up with all of my recommendations. Now, the, The list is growing every day. So I'm just going to continue on with my movie recommendations. That's going to start with Father Stew and Jacob the Liar. I haven't updated anything because I haven't had time to watch anything. Moving on to podcasts. We got Bitcoin and I already mentioned them. Podcasting 2.0 mentioned them. No Agenda mentioned them. MoFax mentioned them. Survival Podcast mentioned them. I didn't mention the Permaculture Pimpcast today, but I will mention them most likely in the next episode. Then we're on to newsletters. Texas Slim's Vision. I believe he rebranded to I Am Texas Slim. Then you got The Oasis by John C. Dvorak. You got Modern Wisdom. And the No Agenda Loot newsletter. Then for YouTube videos, The Collapse of the American Dream Explained Through Animation. Beautiful, wonderful animation. Great listen. Then you have How Are... uh, Yeah, How... How Are... Yeah, I got this a typo in my show notes. How the Economic Machine Works by Ray Dalio. Very good one. Very good one. Then a Support This segment. This is something I believe you should spend your money on that isn't me. Paul Wheaton's course, the Beyond Organic Garden Master Course. Now for end of show songs, I have uh, a remix by Kanye West. And how fitting now that Kanye West in the news for me to say, I love Kanye. He's great. I'm going to be incendiary by saying that. I think he is a troll and a professional one at that. But yeah, he says some dumb things. But you know what? So does everyone else. And his is just on blast. And it's fun, it's fun to make fun of the black guy. When or it's fun to make fun of, we'll say, um, when there is mental health crisis he's happening, I've noticed that it's never okay to make fun of him unless it's a black guy, especially a famous rich black guy, because that should not exist, <laughs> according to pop culture. But anyway, I like Kanye. I'm still voting for him in 2022, uh, sorry, 2024, if he's running, unless he says something that's truly incendiary and he's not just trolling and at that point. I'll write in Jack Spearco. or maybe Adam Curry. We'll see. End of show song is that. End of show I so I think you're going to love. And that's it for this episode, guys. Just about one hour long. And it's been a long time coming, so I thought an hour would be a significant uh, upgrade on the last episode and a significant uh, improvement on the show, I hope. I hope everyone enjoys this one. And I'll catch you all in the next one. I'm going to play us out with my beatbox ad and the, the rest of the end of show things that happen every other time. Peace
1: chapters transcripts images links stream micro to the podcast and send satoshis in real time over the lightning network using a compatible podcasting 2.0 app just go to newpodcastapps.com that's newpodcastapps.com and for more info go to podcastindex.org
3: You my Chick Fil A, close on Sunday. You my Chick Fil A, close on Sunday. You my Chick Fil A.